hello, folks. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 AM KXEX, the best talk in town. Today, I'm going to be joined by Sean Burdine. Um, he is a member of the Constitutionalist. He is also very passionate about election integrity. Um, I think there's two big issues facing us. Aside from we need to get this recall done, That's that'll be a moment of hope, a beacon of hope. But I think that fixing each election office so that we have free and fair elections is just essential to our freedoms. With that being said, uh, before I, I, I introduce my guest, um, I just want to talk about some things that happened in this last week. We were lucky enough in Kingsburg to have the Diaz brothers come down and speak to us. They are the brothers that ran in the movie McFarland, inspirational, great movie. I got to tell you, the real guys were even better. And it was, I wish we'd had a larger crowd, but it was a great event. Uh, we hope to have more events like that, movies in the park, opportunities for conservatives to come out or just constitutionalists come out and you know, they told the story of the American dream. They worked crazy hard. They won a championship when they'd never done that before. And they were essentially field workers. Their family were field workers and every one of their seven brothers, including the three that came and were in the movie, um, all went to college. Um, one of them did have a few little hiccups along the way, but they all went to college. They're all stand-up guys at this point, and, and that was really an inspiring story. There's a couple calendar things. June 7th, the Clovis chapter of CFC, Constitutionals for California, is having a meeting at Max Maya, Maya Sushi Lounge. That's 1512 Champlain. And you'd be welcome to come out and join us. If you care about liberty, here's an opportunity to meet a group that care about protecting and promoting liberty, about educating people, and about making sure that all our rights are defended. The following night, Tuesday night in Kingsburg, June 8th at 6.30 p.m. By the way, the first meeting was also at 6.30 p.m. I don't think I said that. Um, the Kingsburg Group of Constitution Constitutionalists for California is having... Governor candidate Ginny Ray LaRue in, and she'll be speaking, and that is at 15,000 Rose Avenue. It's basically the corner of Rose and Zedeker at 6.30 p.m. So, folks, it's not enough to just sit at home. Get out, get involved, and one of the first steps of doing that is going out and being with like-minded individuals. As a lot of you know, I'm kind of a quote guy. This one's from Reagan. And I really like this one. I think it's appropriate with what's happening in Washington right now. Man is not free unless government is limited. Well, if we think about the implications of that, um, if there's a program for everything, with every program, with every layer of government, you lose a bit of your choice, a, a bit of your freedom. And so while I understand that we need some government, um, largely, I see it as protecting our common defense, taking care of those that can't take care of themselves, you know, and giving a hand up rather than a hand out, dealing with infrastructure. Beyond that, I want to live my life and be left alone, largely. With that being said, um, 
Sean, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So can you tell me, why did you start in this movement? Uh, well, because there's a lot that needs to be done is the bottom line. You know, we look around us um, and it feels like everything's kind of falling apart. And sometimes it, it, it's hard not to feel like things are overwhelming. And in my experience, in those sorts of times, the best thing to do is to start taking action. Is You can't just keep sitting by and watching and complaining and hoping things get better without actually ever taking the steps to make it better. And so that's why I started getting involved and in, in looking for people. And fortunately, I was able to find your group, connect with you guys, and I, I like the approach you guys are taking. Found some other groups around town because... I think right now there's a lot of people that are feeling that same way where you, you, you see, especially after the last few years and especially after the last year, that things are not going the way we want them to go. And like I said, I mean, if we want things to get better, we have to start taking action. We, we, we can't just keep sitting by and, and watching things. We need to take action. Absolutely. Um, my path from somebody that was very much a political junkie, you know, I started at age six. My dad was a political junkie, so I watched the Republican and Democratic National Convention in 1976. And I remember taking away from that that Carter kept talking about wanting to take care of me. I don't remember a thing that Ford said, but I remember that Reagan, who ran against Ford, had a, a short amount of time. And he kept talking about how he wanted to help me by allowing me to exercise my freedoms, to allow me to take care of myself and, and in, in effect, have the government get out of the way. Two entirely different approaches. Um, I think we'd had a, a different country if Ford hadn't been, re, well, he wasn't reelected, but he was nominated and then lost to Carter. So kind of there's where my journey started. Right after that, um, I was constantly arguing with, with my dad. He was a liberal at the time. Uh, I'm proud to say that he is no longer. He is a, a reasonable man and, and very much a constitutionalist like myself, but it took a lot of years and a lot of being told as a little kid that I was wrong. So it gave me this dogged determination. So it was actually good for me that, no, I believed in this perspective. Um, I believed in our freedoms, and it was a bit odd that I, I came to that that early when did you start paying attention to politics at a pretty young age too um honestly uh all the way back in even in high school i was a very angsty rebellious kind of rebel without a cause kind of kid it's constantly getting in trouble for you know pushing the boundaries on dress code stuff and you you may not believe it by looking at me today because i often you know, dress in a vest and tie, I like wearing suits, but I was one of those angsty goth kids and, you know, full black. <laughs> I liked wearing the chains and spikes, but, you know, it's a matter of pushing back against things at the time and not having a lot of, and just being that rebellious sort of kid. So I always paid attention to like what was going on in the news and politics. And then to be honest, I got a bit wayward for a while. I got pulled into some different um, ideas and found myself back where I'm at now. It took a little while to kind of get there, but I was paying attention to some stuff at a very young age, even back then, and always have. Um, just very aware of, you know, we're, we're being manipulated. We're not always being told the whole truth and just trying to figure out where that is. And one of the amazing things about today is, fortunately, through, you know, things like citizen journalism and live streaming and 
all these new options that we have as far as alternative media, it's easier than ever to see that we are being lied to and, and find where truth is. You, there's a lot of voices out there, and sometimes you got to sort through those voices, but at least you can go to the um, original documents, the original videos and all of that now, watch things as they happen to find that truth, which we didn't have up until very recently. That is very true. It has changed the world. It has. Though with social media, they're doing their best to limit those options. That's why we got to fight back. Absolutely. I think that's one of the, the biggest fights that we're going to be facing right now. Um, you know, there, there's some other ones that are really high up there, but we need to maintain our ability to communicate with each other, uh, to transfer that information freely from one another and, and show each other what is happening. I, you know, obviously they want to keep us scared and alone and lie to us as much as possible and you know, keep us believing nonsense. Well, but, that's a large part of why they limited our right mm-hmm. to assembly, yep. to go to church, yep. to go to a restaurant, because there's where you meet with and talk to people. Exactly. So they could censor the online, the distance ways of connecting with people largely, but they also found a way to stop us from congregating. Right. And I think that a lot of ideas were formed. If you read about the founders of our Constitution, a whole lot of those ideas happened while they were sitting around at a pub drinking a beer. Right. Luckily, right. some brilliant guys were also there. But you know, there, were, there was their way to get inspired, to share ideas, to become motivated. And one of the things I find is when I go to a group of like-minded individuals, I get inspired. Me too. Definitely. You know, definitely changes things. Um, We were supposed to have a governor candidate on, and I'm going to go over just a little bit of, because I don't know Jenny Ray very well, and I I hope she does call in. Um, Her representative has been talking to me. I I don't know what's happened, but for me, kind of some things I'm looking for in a governor candidate would be somebody that cares about election integrity, that believes that even if you don't believe this last election was stolen, we still need things like voter ID. We still need to clean the voter rolls. And we need to have some protocols that make it easier for poll watchers to actually watch what's happening. Because every time a vote is stolen, part of your liberty, part of your First Amendment right disappears. So I think every American should want that. This is Eric Rollins, The Constitutionalist, on KXEX, the best talk in town, 1550 at KXEX. Well, welcome, folks. This is Eric Rollins, The Constitutionalist, on KXEX 1550, the best talk in town. Uh, Today I'm joined by Sean Burdine from The Constitutionalist for California, and we're kind of discussing what we'd like in a governor, because i got to tell you, um, I'm a little underwhelmed by all the candidates. There are some signs of hope, and there are some good things about some of the people running, but we kind of want more. So I'd really like to know where any governor candidate, before I consider voting, where they stand on critical race theory. 
um, our state just decided that it needs to be mandatory curriculum. And I see it as something that is at its very base, anti-American and racist. They're deciding that because of the color of your skin, you need to be looked at that way first. It completely abandons the idea that Martin Luther King's dream embodied. You have any comments on that, Sean? Yeah. I mean, it it is really one of those huge topics where it's hard to figure out really where to begin on it. But ultimately, at its core, it is just this incredibly insidious, corrosive, divisive ideology that really is eroding everything that it means to be an American. To be an American, to me, you know, it's a matter of looking past those surface level differences to find someone that you can work with to build a better future together that we can all kind of believe in. But instead, we're fighting amongst each other about over these really superficial things. And Mm -hmm. instead of that just being something that we're working to overcome, which to me growing up, uh, you know, in the 90s, and, and it felt like it wasn't an issue. It wasn't a topic that obviously, you know, for some people, it was still part of the present reality, but it really felt like we were moving in a much better direction, whereas now it is the complete conversation it's what the focus has become for a lot of people and it it really is tearing us apart it's tragic it is tragic to me that the left is focused on race and gender more than anything else Mm -hmm. they're using those to divide us into little groups so that we don't have any strength yeah when i see somebody um i do my very best to not see what the color of their skin is first i'm sure i've had bad moments but I have family of mixed race, and they're absolutely family. And um, I heard this the other day. Um, it was actually in a rap, rap song. I'm kind of a fan of Tom McDonald. And he talked about how both Martin Luther King and JFK were executed. Didn't say it quite in the way I did, but when they bled and they died, they were exactly the same. That blood was the same color. And we should never forget that. Um, I understand why people might be divided along the lines of culture, but it is ridiculous to do it along the lines of race. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Um, It it is really unfortunate right now that that's just, and it's it's not even just, um, you know, part of the conversation. It really has become the focus for some people, the absolute focus of, you know, you've got, um, People trying to just focus on, on who has the most privilege, the least amount of privilege. We've got the privilege stack, all of these mm-hmm. different ideas on, on trying to figure out who has the best place in society where it's just like, you know, ultimately, again, we're, we're just losing sight. It's the, the divide and conquer kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps us all fighting each other instead of working together. We're, we're no longer focusing on those similarities that we might have in common. And we're just hyper fixated on those differences and people that don't want to fixate on those differences are now on the defensive because you have these people that are just aggressively, aggressively trying to accuse them of anything if they don't go along with these outrageous narratives. Well, yes, immediately you're called a racist or a sexist. Oh, yeah. You know, bigot, uh, you go through the list, but names come up. It's like instead of us having reasonable conversations and actual differences of opinion, Right. Um, they're willing to label anything you have to say that disagrees with them as hate speech. Yep. When in, in when in, in reality, in most cases, it's simply speech that they hate. And there's a 
dramatic difference between hate speech and speech you don't like. I stand for even speech I don't like. Yeah, and that's one of the really difficult things these days because, you know, it's hard to find nuance in a lot of the conversation these days. You know, we can find it when we're talking and we talk with like-minded people, but when you you go to the other side of the aisle, especially the younger generation right now, they're just kicking them out of schools, have really been hit hard with this sort of stuff. You can't have nuance anymore. They 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 don't allow any form of nuance. It, it's just everything in that world is super simplistic. It's a binary good evil. Either you are you know in support of this grand utopian vague vision that they've been brainwashed with, really, mm-hmm. or you're an evil person that's either just you know dumb or or just bad. And either way, you know you need to be reeducated or completely ignored. And that to me is also very horrifying because. Again, you, you can't have that, that conversation of like, okay, we can agree on these things, but this is where we need to kind of figure out the differences. No, there, there's no room for those sorts of conversations right now. Mm-hmm. And so we need to figure out how do we bring that, how do we get control of that again? Where, how do we bridge the, make those bridges again with caller. people like that? Well, it looks like I have a caller. Um, welcome, Jenny Ray. Yes, hello. Well, I'm glad to have you with us today. Um, tell me a little bit about why you're running. Why'd you make this choice? Absolutely. I'm running for governor because I, for many years, have operated a business in California. I have absolutely loved it. And the business has been incredibly successful in the state. I love the state um, and have loved living here. But I have never been politically active because life and business is so good. And one of the key concerns that I've had as I've watched the interaction with the pandemic uh, is is discovering things about the way that our government operates that I never knew. Things like waste and fraud, uh, fraud from the economic development department, waste in terms of you know people that were uh, operating in ways that I think none of us really knew, expected, or, or wanted to have happen. And, um, it, you know, with the what I would consider to be the, um, the pandemic specifically related to small businesses and business regulation in California, uh, I, I would say somebody should do something about this. Absolutely. And in fact, I built a model for COVID planning in school were closed. I have kids who are in a school, um, uh, a school that is predominantly many of the families okay. as essential workers, and the kids were not able to, um, you know, log in from from remote locations. Oh, and uh, just watching some of the unintended consequences on businesses, schools, and families, um, you know, someone should do something turned into uh, maybe that someone should be me. Okay. So what type of business? Uh, did you have lots of employees or, you know, being an executive, really you need those types of managerial skills. So can you tell me a little bit about that and what type of business? Sure, yeah. I've, um, I've operated multiple different businesses and enterprises over my life. So my current business is a tech business. It's a platform for consulting firms. Um, and we have a large team of contractors. Many of them work with other organizations. Many have me as their primary client, um, and we work with people that are all over the world. So clients and contractors that are all over the world. It's a large organization that serves about a million people globally. Well, 
I'm I'm here with Jenny Ray Larue. Larue, Larue, and um, she's running for governor. Um, I'm sitting here with my friend Sean. Um, Sean, did you have any questions for Jenny? Uh, well, yeah, uh, we've got a we've got a lot we can work through. Um, I'd like to follow up more on a little bit on the this business uh, and that you um, are managing and operating. So, what sort of services? You said tech. Uh, what more specifically does that involve? Absolutely. There's a lot that you could do in the tech space. So uh, the, the business is a website. The uh, website is managementconsulted.com. And the business is a three-client business with client groups. Uh, we have B2C customers. So we have people that are interested in entering the consulting field, either as an employee or building their own consulting practices. And uh, we provide tech-enabled services to do that. So we have digital products. Um, we also have services that are delivered through Zoom. Um, we have a corporate training portion of our business, again, similar type of business model, but for large groups and large organizations, for people that want to build internal consulting capabilities in what they're doing. And the final piece is a um, being to university, uh, a BDU group. So I guest lecture at about 60 different universities, including Harvard Business School and Columbia Business School every year. Uh, I do trainings on corporate workshop uh, consulting, uh, corporate workshops consulting and um, consulting skills such as data analysis. And uh, so because I'm running for governor, we've hired someone to take over my role inside the organization, the new chief learning officer. And so I have moved into an advisory position with the company. Okay. Um, the company is continuing to run successfully, but I am currently fully focused on the gubernatorial race. This is kind of a general question. What do you think the role of government is? Like that'll tell me a little bit about your perspective where, where you stand with things. Yeah, actually, I had a good friend that asked me a little while ago. He's a Democrat, has worked on Democratic campaigns, but is reconsidering some of his positions in light of some of what's happened recently. And he said, what do you think the role of good government is? So that's the question I'm going to answer because I think it's kind of maybe getting at the heart of what you're asking. So I think good government exists to provide public goods and public safety. Uh, there are things that we wouldn't have without government, things like roads. Um, and in California, we wouldn't have water storage for drought seasons. Um, now we're mismanaging some of our roads and we're mismanaging our, um, our drought, but the function of a good government is providing goods and services that people would not provide for themselves. Uh, in California, that looks a little different than it would on the local level, and that looks a little different than it would on the national level. But overall, those are my focus areas for what good government looks like. Okay. Um, the whole country is, is fairly concerned. Whether you think the election was stolen or not, it's clear that there were real problems. Where do you stand on voter ID? Yeah, I think that voter ID for voter registration. Okay. What about what, what about at the poll? Yeah, well, I, you know, I've actually mail-in voter for for most of my career because I travel extensively. So being able to only vote in person and only vote in ID, I wouldn't have been able to vote for most of the elections in the last 20 years. So I do believe that there are ways that we can and should create access um, I do believe in at 
you know, some some access, whether it includes early voting at the polls, whether it includes mail-in voting um, or some combination of the two. But I, I do believe in access at the polls and I do believe in security for um, for the, the vote. Also, you probably already know this, but there is a committee that's forming at the state level to provide city by city and county by county audits of the upcoming election. I do think it's really important that people feel like their vote is counted and counted fairly. Uh, and so that, those uh, hand-counted audits are, are being organized at the state level. And we'll be providing more information about that about eight weeks before the election. Just so everybody knows, there are things that are being thought about and done, and it does matter to me. It does matter to us at the party level, and it does matter to, like you mentioned, state nomination. What, what, my problem with those audits that you're speaking about, and we're just running down, and we'll, we'll be back in just a second with a segment, but this is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, uh, here on KXEX 1550, the best talk in town. And hello, folks. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. I'm speaking with Brett Burdine, Sean Burdine. Sorry, know your dad pretty well. Um, and I'm also speaking with Governor Candidate Ginny, Ginny Ray LaRue. And we were talking about the potential of the state auditing all the counties. The problem with that is if it's not an outside independent audit, I don't trust so much what's happening. So, you know, if they can find an outside audit auditing company, I would be much more in favor of it. Um, education is really important. So, Jenny, what do you have to say about about education? Well, you know, would you have brought us back to school sooner? How would you have dealt with this whole pandemic? Absolutely. So, my I have three kids, ages eight, four, and two. So, I'm really entrenched in the system. My oldest is in a public charter school that is the Spanish immersion program. Uh, so he's fluent in Spanish. In fact, his teacher tells me that he's better in Spanish than in English, which I'm not surprised about. Uh, and it, our school has been back in person for this entire year. Um, one of the things that we've seen is just the dramatic benefit, uh, both to the kids and to our entire community. Uh, for that, and they were able to do that safely with a significant amount of COVID testing, um, with some COVID precautions, but largely with an uninterrupted schedule. And uh, so, you know, I've been a beneficiary of a program that worked um, as much as they could with the state and as much as they needed to independently to do what they believed were best for the kids and the families in our community. And I really, during the, um, during, during the COVID period, the model that I built in the second week of April would have had 43 of our counties, including the schools in those counties, fully open. One of the things that I absolutely love about the work that I've done in the tech space is the nature of innovation in technology. And one of the reasons that I believe in a distributed government, a locally operated government, is that we have the opportunity to learn from innovation, from people piloting and trying things um, on the ground. And I think, I, I believe, you know, based on my experience, but also based on all of the data that I've seen, that there are multiple places that were proving out that schools could be safely and fairly opened without any dire consequences related to COVID. And so 
I really think we have to ask ourselves when we look at education in the last year, were the kids a factor? Were they thought about? Were they considered as a part of this entire lockdown process? And I think you can see in most places uh, that they were not a, a part of the consideration. So I love our school for uh, for taking the policies and, and modifying them to work within our community. We had a, a relatively low COVID spread. Most of the schools in the state, I would have recommended um, that they open, and there would have been some places based on you know really challenging ICU capacities that I would have recommended or closed or virtual for some period of the year. But for the most part, the majority of the state would have been open um, uh, over the course of this year. We find that uh, there's a lot of evidence from around the world that kids don't seem to spread or have much of a problem with COVID. Um, what do you think of, of the masks in school? Yeah, when my when I found out that my third grader was going to be subject to masks in schools, we had a conversation about it, and we discovered the you still there? that it didn't just. Can, can you repeat that last bit? The, you you cut out for a second. Can you repeat that last bit, Jenny? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I was just saying that my third grader, once the mask mandate reached down to the third grade, was included in the requirement to wear a mask in school um, over the course of this year. And and we asked him, you know, what his thoughts and feelings were about wearing the mask in school. He was really excited to go to school. He decided that it was something that uh, that he wanted to do. Um, but I was concerned, absolutely, about the impact on him emotionally and the impact on him physically um, of wearing the mask. Now, our school was, uh, they did allow the kids to unmask outside. Um, I, I wouldn't con- have considered them to be on the very draconian level of of restrictions in terms of the utilization for kids, what they were doing was monitoring COVID cases in the school, which I think was, you know, an incredibly reasonable approach. But really our focus was on ensuring um, that for him, that was a personal issue. But yeah, mask mandates for kids, I don't think have ever made sense. Um, And I don't think that the data supported it. I, I have really good friends that are on pediatric wards of cities all across the country. And, and it was never recommended for kids. It was an, a solution in California that I believe did not follow the science. I'm a data-driven person. I, I've already mentioned I love tech and I love data and I teach data programs at different schools. And, and the fact that we were not following the data was the most troubling part of that. So as you mentioned, I, I did not agree with the mask mandate for children. Another big buzz issue is where do you stand on vaccine passports? Yeah, I, I think vaccine passports are a non-negotiable no for me. I really believe in the power of our ability to create vaccines. I'm pro-vaccine. I'm pro the fact that we can develop them and offer them for usage. But mandating access the use of vaccines is next level crazy and uh, so i'm not pro vaccine passports Uh, i'm pro liability waivers Uh, you know if a business would like to open and protect themselves from the uh, ability to have someone come back to them and say it's your fault business that was open or church that was open or you know government organization that was open that i contracted covid um, you know, I do believe that there are ways that we could uh, could, could restrict waivers for that. But 
absolutely, I think that vaccine passports um, are, are unreasonable, and I would not want to see them passed or put into action in California. Well, I'm pretty fortunate that I live in Clovis, um, but I'm surrounded by Fresno, which has been basically draconian in their lockdowns. Um, a lot of businesses have been lost. Life is still not back to normal in Fresno. It has largely been normal because our local politicians kept their local control. They didn't hand it over to the governor. They went to the business owners and said, hey, if it's not egregious, if you come up with plans, and they didn't even make us submit the plans, um, we want you to be open. Because of those choices that our politicians, those options they gave us, the fact that they trusted us with our own freedom, Clovis can afford to play, pay for police and fire. And those are two of the biggest roles of government is paying for those emergency services. And Correct. so where do you stand on local control do you, as far as, as state and local? Oh, absolutely. Well, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I believe in the power of innovation to solve problems. And the more that you distribute that, you can see it. In fact, we can look at it at the federal and state level. We've learned a lot from the federal government having the requirement to have states operate separately during the pandemic. It's one of the challenges in coordinating a national response. It's also one of the powerful benefits. Um, and I would argue that at the state level, it's exactly the same. You know, there are so many things that our counties have that are very different from one another. Uh, in, in California, different demands, uh, different populations, uh, different priorities. Uh, and I've spoken to counties all over the state uh, that have said, gosh, if we only had, you know, funds that were unearmarked, there are things that we could do that we're not able to do because of state mandates. So we have a bloated centralized government in California that mandates management instead of incentivizing problem solving. And local control is the only way that we get back to that. Okay. Sean, did you have a question? Uh, yeah. Well, one of the, the main th- uh, themes that keep coming back is for, for your career comes back to technology innovation. So I'm, um, we would really like to hear your perspective when it comes to everything dealing with, you know, big tech right now and, and, uh, censorship issues because I know that's another issue that's been really big uh, the last few years, especially for the conservative voters. So, what what is your perspective on on that? <laughs> I'm not Ron DeSantis, but I do like the bill they just passed. I'm sure you guys have been following that. Uh, you know, deplatforming someone for unillegal behavior uh, is uh, is I believe a challenge to our First Amendment rights. And um, we, I think that it can be and probably will ultimately be fairly argued that the public square uh, considers places like our network platforms. Um, so, you know, deplatforming someone for child pornography, sure. Deplatforming someone for beliefs uh, that are unfavorable, I think that's really problematic in a democracy. And uh, so I'm incredibly concerned about the state of censorship right now. Okay. Um, Jumping back to schools, uh, critical race theory, which we discussed before you got on a little bit. um, Where do you stand? You know, our state just implemented being taught in schools and we might not have time to finish this. Do you have time to stay through the the last segment? I can stay through the last segment. Okay, so you got about a minute to deal with this, then we'll we'll have to go to the next segment just about so. 
If you can give me the short answer, you can follow it up on the on the on the other side. Because okay, I know this is this great. is like a huge mouthful. This is a big one. This is a big one. This is a really big one. Yeah, yeah. We're parents are concerned all over the state. My my view of the California crisis is that people are leaving our state. Businesses are leaving our state. Anything that forces people to leave unnecessarily, which I would argue this kind of training in schools is an example of that. You know, we need to be teaching excellent reading, writing, math, and STEM, engineering. Um, and, and this is an example of over-legislation from the, from the central state government that hasn't really thought about the impacts of it. Do we need to have conversations about race? Absolutely. Um, should we have a class that positions a single perspective on race? We should not. That's my one minute version. Okay, it's almost exactly one minute. That was almost. I mean, yes, you got that down. Um, so we've still got a little bit of time. Uh, so this is the Constitutionalist Eric Rollins on fifteen fifty KX, KXEX, the best talk in town. back folks this is eric rollins the constitutionalist on 1550 kxex the best talk in town and i'm talking with my friend sean burdine and on the on the line is jenny ray larue and we were talking about critical race theory um jenny do you have anything else you want to add add to that well i just want to say that i like i like i've mentioned you know i think that it's really important that we engage as a broader population in conversations about race and justice. Those I do think are important. The concept of critical race theory as defining race as a baseline for every social injustice is what is problematic. So there are kinds of curricula that I would support, things that benefited us by having conversations around shared experiences I think that having shared experience conversations build empathy and understanding. Um, having a single point of reference, as I mentioned before, a single right way to think about something is the exact opposite of the kind of critical thinking and critical conversation uh, that we should be having. So, uh, yeah, so once again, it's it's not something that I support. I would not, if I, that legislation would come across my desk as the governor, I would not be signing it into law. If you were elected governor, is there anything you can even do about it? since there's a supermajority. Oh, there are always things that you can do. I have five tools at my disposal, and I wouldn't be running for governor if I didn't think there was something I could do. And I hope that, that everyone else who's listening doesn't feel hopeless for our state. Um, yeah, there, there are multiple things. Number one is just messaging, right? If we only have one conversation, if only one voice is heard, then there are messages that are missed. So that's one thing. Um, I do have a veto, and with the supermajority, the veto would have to be overridden multiple times and a caucus for example um our, our legislators would all have to show up for all of the votes that doesn't always happen right now so you know there are there are things that uh that we would have a different process around um if i were in the legislative seat but i also have appointments at my disposal uh, i also have a budget 
that I, I uh, construct, they don't have to pass the budget, but they don't get funded at the same time and right. they don't like the budget. So mm-hmm. we have some conversations around the budget that are able to be had. Um, and, you know, finally, I do have executive orders, um, but, but there are certainly, like, you know, conversations that need to be had from the statewide level around uh, these issues. And, and I don't want to pretend that the standard legislative process is one that any governor has ever restricted themselves to, nor would I. Well, I would also point out you have hiring and firing and the ability to audit agencies. And True. those are really powerful tools also. Yes. Well, if, if this one was a new one, the audit wouldn't uh, wouldn't happen, but I just couldn't wait to get my hands on an audit of the EDD. That would be one of my first targets for uh, for, for this. Uh, the um, you know any spending on housing and homelessness from the research that we've done, we have about fourteen different agencies that touch housing and homelessness, and a new homeless council that has done absolutely nothing since they were put into place in 2017, except for spend the taxpayers' money and not to find any results that they're trying to get to. So uh, I think I would have quite a lot of fun actually looking into numbers, following the money and publishing the results from some of those audits. Uh, Absolutely need to publish results. That is one of the things that executives need to do if they want to stand for good good government is find a media outlet and we need to be all watching. We need to all be watchdogs because there is a huge amount of waste. You touched a little bit on homelessness. Um, Another issue before we run out of time is where do you stand on water and ag? What what do we do? Well, I run a 181-acre hobby ranch in Northern California, so I I know something about water issues uh, from my personal experience. It is not in any way, I'm not a commercial grower, but I do have friends and and um, people in my community that are so um our i I just want to say very plainly that one thing that we always hear is that we're in a drought uh we are in a drought but our water issues are not the direct relationship of that drought we have water mismanagement in the state of california um and so where do i stand on water issues Uh, we need water for ag it's it's rights they're rights that people have been granted the rights that were given to veterans many of them uh, in our water districts and rights that need to be maintained and preserved. Uh, no one at the state level is fighting for those rights, but it is something that I would do both within the state and also against the federal government if we have issues uh, that need to be resolved. So ag, critical, we need water and we need water to our farmers. Well, there, it's absolutely an economic engine. It also provides us a security and it seems to largely be forgotten with the, the current legislature which is sad. And here in, the, here in the Central Valley, we, we live that. Uh, we have very little stay, say about what happens in Sacramento. So we're, I think that's changing. I, I, just, I, I just want to encourage everyone that I have never seen a movement in California like I've seen in the last year. I'm certainly a part of it. I know, I, like I mentioned, happy to be a sleepy participant in the press sector for the majority of my time in the state. Most of the people that we are meeting with and talking to are first-timers interested uh, in the political realm. And one thing that we've seen powerfully happen in the past is that executives have gone around legislatures to the people and said, oh, you don't know how this works. Let me walk you through it, (laughs) right? This is who you call. This is what you say. This is what you do. These are people that you can fund. Uh, And there are going to be some workarounds that we're going to see in different ways that we have not seen before in California. So just to encourage everyone that's 
thing. Uh, we're not a part of an old system. The new system is being built right before our very eyes. Absolutely. Um, can, in about 45 seconds, can you tell me about why you're hopeful? You know, we really oh, need messages of hope. Yes, we need we need so much hope. So first of all, I'm hopeful because I believe it's possible for change. I've I've worked with impossible organizations over my entire career, and I would walk into them and they'd say, "It's five billion dollar black hole, and it can't be changed." And I would say, "Give me a couple of days, and we'll figure it out." So, um, so you know, when I look at the state of California, we have been lied to about what is possible. It is possible to manage. It is possible to manage water. It's possible for us to have more enough for business to be open and manage COVID. It's possible to do these things. And so, um, you know, just to encourage everyone, hope is on the horizon. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that. Uh, Jenny Ray will be speaking this coming Tuesday night, June 8th, and then June 9th, she'll be at the Liberty Coalition. So if you go to the Constitutionals for California webpage, you can find those that information. I thank you, folks. This is Eric Rollins on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town.